Welcome to New Freedom Church. Over the next hour, we will worship together through song and hearing a message that is designed to help you grow in your faith. So please take a minute and fill out that Connect form online so that we will send you a free t-shirt just like this. It is the most comfortable t-shirt you will ever wear. We want to thank each of you who have shared our videos on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media forms because that really helps us to get more of the message out to many, many people that can benefit from the same content that you get today for absolutely free. Let's get started. Welcome back to part four of our series on the book of James. I just love the wisdom that's in this book and the the life application that we can draw from it. My name is Joe. I serve as lead pastor here at New Freedom. So glad to see you today. If you're joining us online, welcome. If you're here in person, uh, new around here, we have a gift we'd love to give you and get to know you a little bit more. Just visit us in the lobby after church and we can do that for you online. There's a connect card. You can connect with us right there digitally and we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, This morning we want to, to go into part number four uh, next week, we will finish up uh, chapter five. We'll finish up the book of James. But uh, what I want us to do is, is set this up for just a minute uh, with the, the, um, the study in this chapter before we get to the chapter. Because I think so often what we do is, uh, I know me personally, I go to God's word and I'll find a chapter and I'll read a chapter and I'll say, wow, that was great. There are some good nuggets of truth that I can find in there. And I'll, I'll have some good takeaways from that. Uh, But what we fail to realize is that a a, a book like James was actually just a letter. It was a letter written that probably was read in one setting. You know, someone would send you a letter. You probably wouldn't read the first page and then put it down and read the next page the next day. You want to know everything that's in that letter. And so when we just dissect one thought here, one thought there, we can miss the continuity of what the entire theme is. And we have to look back to chapter three a little bit in order to get the theme of chapter four. About 800 years ago, a man named Stephen Langdon, uh, he helped us out. He, uh, he added chapters and verses to our Bible. So when you're reading the Bible, you, you get a break in, in a verse or, or maybe a chapter changes. Um, that was added about 800 years ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. It helps us to maybe keep track of such a large volume. But what it does many times is it breaks up the continuity of thought from one chapter to the next chapter. So when we look at chapter four today, We have to go back first a little bit and borrow from what was the theme in chapter three. And here's what James was talking to us about last week is that the things that we say, the words that we speak are very powerful. Our words have in them life or death. Proverbs says that the power of life and death is in the tongue, is in what we say. And so this is the the borrowed theme that comes on in to chapter four. If I could just recap one part of chapter three in verse 16, it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is present. I know that none of us in here want to be self-seeking. We don't want evil things present. And so we have to purge some things from our lives through prayer and through giving it to the Lord in order to get here to chapter four. In chapter four, we're going to look at the entire chapter today, and and here's a little bit different study, is we're going line upon line, verse by verse, and we're going to kind of dissect it as we can, some we won't spend as much time on. But the first 10 verses, here's what I want you to observe. It is not about interpersonal relationships. Hear me. Many times we read the scriptures and we think about somebody else. Well, if so-and-so was in church today, they really needed to hear that, right? No, God has those here who need to be here. And so verses 1 through 10 is not for somebody else. This is for me. Say, it's for me. This is individual. This is going to be talking about us. And it actually talks about our personal battle with pride and self-arrogance. 
Now, I have to borrow a quote from C.S. Lewis on pride. He probably has given us the best glimpse of a definition of our heart when it comes to pride. He says this, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. And he goes on to say it is pride. So the first 10 verses here have to deal with our pride and how that we can conquer that through Christ. Last week I shared with you that in and of your own ability, in yourself, there is nothing that you can do to tame your tongue. But in Christ, we are a new creation. We are a a newly created individual with God. He has given us a regeneration on the inside. And so in Christ, we have the ability to be able to tame our tongue. And so in Christ, we can humble and that pride can be disposed of. Let's look at it, verses one through three. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? This is a question, and it's a valid question. He's asking, where do fights come from? This warring, where does it come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Verse, verse one, where do fights come from? Where do these wars come from? Now the, the uh, translation here is, is probably not as, as accurate as it could be when it says among your members or among you. It's actually in the Greek, the word within you. So what he's saying is, you wanna know where the fight and the war takes place? It happens on the inside of you. The first battle that you will ever fight and the continuous war that you will wage until you die is this battle between your temples. It's this battle of your mind. It's this this battle that wars on the inside. The the thing that Paul said, the, the things I will to do, I can't do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the very things I succumb to. And who can deliver me from this body of death? He says, thank God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's only one solution for this problem, and that is surrendering unto God. We'll get there in just a minute. But he's asking this question, where do fights come from? They come from within you. They start right here in your own heart, in your own mind. They battle. And if you're not careful and don't uh, bring some, some control to your words, then these fights will get into fights with others as we start to speak and we say things that we shouldn't say. He says on a little further, you lust and you do not have. Now, I shared with you last week, the word lust is not a bad word. We've associated it with maybe sexual lust, and so we've made it a bad word, but it's not a bad word. Lust simply defined means a strong desire. That's what lust is. It is a strong desire. You, you, can, you can see a newborn baby having a lust for life, so much so that when they come out, they will scream for a gasp of air. They will scream because they are hungry, because there is such a desire, a strong desire to live within that new uh, baby that they will have this lust for life, I will say. And so he's saying that we have strong desires for things, but we don't really get what we want. And the reason is, is because we murder and we covet. Now, I had to really think about this. Okay, I've never killed anybody. I've never taken up an armament or a weapon to, to murder someone. So James must not be talking to me. No, 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 he can't be talking about me. I haven't murdered anybody. But then it occurred to me, 
there have been a time or two, maybe a long time ago, you know, that I've wished somebody were out of the way. Like, if I could just have a couple more funerals, things would have probably been a lot better. One pastor said, the only problem with, with the ministry for so long is there's not enough funerals. No, that's not true. But we murder sometimes when we wish someone dead, when we wish that they were out of the way, when, when we would wish to take away or steal the accolade or the achievement or the success they have and covetousness happens because we don't care about the human toll or the human consequences when that happens, is that he says you murder and you covet. You try to take away from someone else to make yourself look better, and it is self-arrogance and it is pride. And he says this is why you don't have. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. I thought to myself, wait a minute. I talk to God. I ask of things. It's okay to, to ask for things from God, but according to the wisdom here, James says, you have not because you ask not. It, it reminded me of, of the very popular Bible story. It's probably not named the right name, uh, but you would probably know it as the story of the prodigal son. How many know the story I'm talking about? You've heard of this story. I'll just recap it. So the father, this father has two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son demands of his dad that he get his inheritance early. And when he gets his inheritance, because of his immaturity, because of his lack of experience, he goes out and he spends his entire inheritance upon riotous living, is what the Bible says. He gets all out of money, and you know what happens was when he was out of money, all of a sudden he was out of friends too. It's funny how that friends attract to you when you have money, but once that money's gone, the friends are gone. And so he had no friends, he had no money, he was eating the husk of the world, the, the, the corn... Uh, shavings that were left over in a hog's trough. And he said, you know, even the servants, he, the Bible says he came to himself and he thought, even the servants in my father's house have enough food to eat. And here I am having spent everything. I'm just about to starve to death. And maybe just perhaps if I would go back to my father's house, then he would give me a seat at the servant's table where at least I wouldn't starve. This was his logic. And this is the way that many of us think spiritually when we've uh, come into a place of, of uh, uh, faith and then we've maybe stumbled or we've fallen or we've, we've taken a step back and we get this self-condemnation that, well, we're not good enough anymore, we're not approved of God, and so I'll just settle for something lesser. And this was where he was, the prodigal son. Well, as the story goes, he comes back home, his father sees him a long way off, and he does the unthinkable. Get this. The father sees him coming. He runs to his son, which was illegal in that culture. A, a grown man did never run in public. But he ran to his son. He gave him a robe. He put a ring on his finger. And he called for his servants to kill the fatted calf, the best one. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a feast because the son that I thought I had lost has now come home. Everybody knows the story now, the prodigal son. It really is not named appropriately because for my message today, I would have named it the story of the unfaithful, unthankful older brother. Because when I was reading James and he says, you have not because you ask not, it reminded me of the story of the older unthankful brother who when his father finally sees this reconciliation, which is what our hearts all long for, is the reconnected of things broken in our lives. It's what we all want, it's what we all desire. Pride and self-arrogance keeps us from that so often. When the older brother saw this, he was appalled. He was shocked. He was offended 
that his dad would reward the younger, riotous living brother. He would reward him with such a great feast when after all, he had smeared the family name, he had shamed his father, and he had desecrated himself. Why would dad do such a thing? And he even brought up this charge to his father. He even said to his dad, he had boldness now to talk to him and say, dad, I can't believe that you would do such a thing. And here is the whole lesson of the story. The father looks to the older son and says, have you not been in the house all along? At any given moment, you could have called for the fatted calf. At any time, you could have hosted a celebration. Any day of the week, you could have said, let's have a party for the entire town because my daddy's got multiple calf. My daddy's got all kind of money. There is all kinds of things that we can do to bless this community. But his father said, no, you heaped it upon yourself. You didn't have the right motives. And get this, you never asked. How many of us today, having named the name of Jesus, having said yes to faith, having gone through the spiritual disciplines and walking this road of faith, how many of us are sitting in the house, partially starving spiritually, all because we never asked? You see, there's a bountiful meal spread before you as a child of God that you can take advantage of today, right here and right now, but you have to ask because James says you have not because you ask not. Are you living below your spiritual privilege today? Maybe there are some things that you have observed that other people get, but somehow it never works out for you. I have seen this story played over time and again, especially in church circles, the unthankful older brother. And sometimes it's an unthankful older sister. Sometimes it's a seasoned saint in the church. When someone who has lived up in riotous living all their life, they finally come as an invite, someone invited them to church and they'll come to church. They didn't have the right clothes on. They didn't smell very good. Their life was a a mess and everybody in town knew who they were, but something somehow warmed their heart when they heard the message of the good news. There was a song that played that really resonated with them and they found themselves walking down to an altar for prayer and they found themselves humbling before an almighty God saying, it is me in need of prayer, forgive me, a sinner. And then within a couple weeks, their attire starts changing because you know what happens when God changes you from the inside, it starts here and then it starts flowing to the outside. And then they wear a little bit different clothes. They speak a little more respectively after a while. They're bringing other people to church. They're inviting. They're the biggest evangelists. And yet you get some people in the church that say, well, I don't know why she thinks that she can be so blessed. I mean, why did the pastor ask her to testify? I've been here all along and he never asked me to tell my story. Well, you have not because you ask not. Don't be an unthankful older sibling. James said, if you want it, go and get it. Your father has plenty. Listen, you will not bankrupt heaven if you ask for a blessing. There's plenty to go around. We should be thankful for that. Amen. And then he says this. He says, you ask and don't receive. So in other words, when you finally get around to asking, you don't receive because you ask, the scripture says, amiss. Or you ask that you might spend it upon your pleasures. You're asking for the wrong reasons. It's a selfish motive. It's a a desire to heap it upon yourself. This is a fight on the inside. This is an inner struggle. This is an inner battle that he's warning us against. And all of us will wage this war. And let me just share with you, (laughs) this isn't maybe the, the thing you wanted to hear, but you will never 
in this body, in this flesh, in this life, you will never get to the place where there are not some battles yet to wage. There are not some wars yet to fight. Because just when you thought you had spiritually matured and got over that, someone will say something, someone will post something, someone will do something, and you find yourself right back there in memory and mind of what happened, of how you felt, something will rise up on the inside of you, and you can get tripped up because there is a war that's waging on the inside of you. Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. He said, I am still pressing towards the mark. There is a high calling of God, and I'm still pressing towards that. And as long as you're in this earth suit, you're going to have some of these battles on the inside. And the question is, are we going to ask according to our desire or according to God's desire? And when we have this, this koinonia, this fellowship with God, here's what happens is, we ask according to the heart of the Father, You know that a mark of spiritual maturity is that when you can defer your benefit for the benefit of someone else, it is yielding to the other. It is asking for the heart of the Father to change your heart so that you can have the eyes to see what the Lord sees, to hear what the Lord hears, to do what God would have for you to do. And this is spiritual maturity. It is praying and asking according to to the heart of God. God wants good things for you, not from you. But when you have the heart of God in your request, then you'll start to see the fulfillment of blessing in your life. Now, verse four, this is a a pretty tough rebuke. Verses four and five says this, adulterers and adulteresses. He gets really in our business, doesn't he? Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously. God is jealous over you, over your time, over your attention, over your affection, over the things which you ponder on, what you settle into your heart. The spirit of God gets grieved when we think of things we shouldn't, when we lay plans and premeditate actions that we know are not according to the heart of God. And so he's saying that not that we've, we've committed a adulterous or adulterer act in the natural. This is a spiritual adultery he's talking about. He's saying that you have left your first love. And what was the, the, the reminder in the book of Revelation? It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works again. You have left your first love. Get back into the place where you worship God and you fall in love with Jesus all over again. He's saying here that if we want to be a friend of God, then we have to not live our lives by the world system. Now, please hear me, because I think for too long, Christians have tried to so separate themselves from the world because we are a peculiar people that really what has happened is that the world just thinks we're weird. And they don't want anything to do with us because they they think that we're too heavenly minded to be too any earthly good. And that is what some believers do. I'm not talking about that. Here's what James is saying that you cannot allow the world system, the way the world operates, the way the world thinks to so influence the way that you operate because if you do, you cannot be a friend of God. Hear me, he's not talking about hating the world and the people in it. He's talking about this world system that will vie for your attention, 
that is always trying to reel you in with advertising and propaganda to taint your heart, your kingdom heart, to taint your kingdom heart so that you don't think about the things eternal, but you're only thinking about the things material. But the Bible tells us that the things which we see with our eyes are temporary. The things unseen, those are the eternal things. Listen, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Not a friend of the world, the world system we're talking about. Jesus was a friend of sinners. So if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to wear the bracelet WWJD, what would Jesus do? Jesus would be a friend of sinners, not a friend to the world system. We should, as Christ followers, be the most inviting, the most welcoming, the most loving, the most compassionate, the most gracious, the most merciful people that any sinner will ever come in contact with. It's awfully quiet in this church this morning. (laughs) But what has happened, because we have somehow thought that judgment, us being the judge, gets uh, spiritual accolades or it, it, it means that we have to keep people to task. This is not about other people. This is about you and me right here still. This isn't interpersonal. This is personal relationship. You know you have a relationship with you. Some people don't have a good relationship with themselves. And therefore, they have a real hard time having a good relationship with God, and it's almost impossible to have a good horizontal friendship and relationship with other people. See, he says the battle that you fight is in you. And when you are not winning the internal battle, that internal struggle, that self-talk, you're talking to yourself all day long. And it's okay to answer too, just don't do it in public. But you're talking all day long. You're having a relationship with you. And some people don't have a good relationship with themselves. And it, it goes into to things like disorders and hang-ups and habits and hurts. And, and so we have to bring all of that to God. We have to bring all of that to the feet of Jesus. And this is a stern rebuke about a spiritual adultery, about leaving our first love. Look at verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. <laughs> oh, somebody just say that. But he gives more grace. Does anybody want some more grace? Uh, thank you very much, God. I'll take some more grace. I'll take a little bit more of that on my plate. Yes, thank you, amen. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Look what God does. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To the humble. Being humble doesn't mean that you let everybody walk all over you. Being humble doesn't mean that you have no opinion about matters. Being humble doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Being humble means that you operate in James chapters one and two, realizing I have one mouth and two ears and I'm gonna let someone else speak and I'll listen double the amount as I talk. I'm gonna humble to them. I'm going to go to the back seat sometimes. I'm going to give preference to someone else because God resists the proud. Why do you think God resists the proud? Because they already know it all. They already have it all figured out. When you have all the answers, you have no need of God. When you've made knowledge and education and learning and understanding your idol, then there's nothing higher than that. You have no need of God. And God says, fine, I'll stand over here. You do your thing and you just let me know when you need some help. 
and a bunch of people are out there just working and, and waging and warring and doing all kinds of things they can to do it on their own. And God's saying, you have not because you ask not. Here's a quote from Mere Christianity. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride, arrogance, selfish ambition. That's what James is talking about. These are all things and methods of the world. But to be a friend of the world means that I'm an enemy of God. How many want more grace? I want more grace. I want to be a friend of God. Well, here's how we do it. Verse 7. Therefore, so he's laid out all of what he's just said. Look what he says now. He's changing his, to, to an answer form now. Therefore, after you've heard everything I've just said, submit to God. Just look to your neighbor and say, submit to God. <laughs> submit to God. Therefore, since you've heard everything to this point, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's the one part that our government did get right this year. They got biblical on that, didn't they? Wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, you can wash your hands and have a dirty heart. You can have dirty hands, but you might have a clean heart. You can't look at outward appearance. He's talking about a double-minded person, but there's also two things he's referring to. As your heart gets clean, it does nothing to purify the dirty things you've touched in your hands, but there is a reference and an inference that you are getting your hands dirty in this world. There should be some kind of serving, some kind of reaching out, some kind of way that you are engaging your faith with things that are unclean out there in the world so that the time will come when your heart is pure, you're going to serve with your hands, you can wash your hands, keep your heart right. That's what God's saying. Keep your heart right. And he says, submit to God. Don't submit to the idols. Don't submit to the ways of this world, but submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now, when I first got saved, I was 15 years old and I recall multiple times having this conversation and dialogue in my mind that, you know, I would be on cloud nine. I would be serving the Lord. I had done my devotion that morning. I used to work at Walmart when I was in high school. Man, that is a testing ground, you know. Whew. you just need to thank the people who work at Walmart, amen? You just need to thank them. Thank you, thank you. It's a tough job. But, you know, someone, I would do my devotion. I would spend my time with Jesus. I'd love Jesus. And just as sure as someone would come in the public and they would be rude to you, you'd want to give them a piece of your ever-living mind. You know what I'm talking about? And I would have to say, oh, I submit to you, God. I rebuke, the, I rebuke you, devil. I'm going to resist, you know. I'm going to resist that. I, don't, I can't tell them what I want to tell them. I'm saved now. I don't talk that way no more, you know. You know. But, but here, here's the thing. You can resist the devil all you want. He won't flee from you. Oh, I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to have more strength. I'm going to read more Bible studies. I'll just go to church two times on Sunday. I'm going to go to both services next week. I'm going to resist the devil. All your strength, all your ability, all your work, you can resist the devil all you want. He won't flee from you. You know why? Because that's not the formula. The formula says, first, submit yourself to God. God, here I am to you. 
Now, from this position, you can, and you don't have to kneel, but you can kneel and you can bow in your heart. When you submit to God, now you can resist the devil. He's got to flee from you. But we get the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We try to submit. We try to submit. No, no, no. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm just going to resist. No. God says, go ahead and submit first. Then, in Christ, being a new creation, you can do all things. In Christ, you can tame your tongue. In Christ, you can humble yourself before God. In Christ, you can be nice to your neighbor. In Christ, you can love the unlovable. In Christ, you can have mercy. In Christ, you can have grace. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new in Christ. But in Joshua's strength, I get in the flesh. I'm still in the flesh. I, 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 can, I can have moments where the battle and the war is waging and I don't win that war. But here, here's the next thing. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I remember the story of the, the grandparents, little old lady, she's driving in the car with her husband. They're driving down the road and it's a nice, beautiful Sunday afternoon and she looks over to him and she's just as close as she can be to the passenger door and she said, Jimmy, you never cuddle me no more. We used to be so close. We used to be side by side. We used to always just pat on one another. And he looked over, he said, well, Marjorie, I never moved. (laughs) God never moved. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. We are the ones that go astray. All we like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us to our own separate way. But it was his good prerogative, it was God's divine love that sent to us our Savior, Jesus, to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. And I was one of those that was lost, and you were too. Let us never forget that feeling of being wandering and being out and being lost from God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is a promise. This is what we need to do. And then we cleanse our hearts and we cleanse our hands. Submission means that you subject yourself to, you subordinate, you humble, you obey another. When you submit, you obey God. Verse nine, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This term lift you up is like a graduation. It doesn't mean that God is actually gonna take you to a higher place in the building. You know, when when someone graduates from one grade to the next grade, they don't just go to the next level of the school until they get to the 12th floor of the school. No, they get raised up. They get, they graduate. And so when you've humbled yourself before God, then God will lift you up. When you have these times of mourning and lament, we've, we've lost the ability in Christian circles to really just simply weep and lament, to to mourn with those who mourn. And we can rejoice with those who rejoice, but we do a whole lot better rejoicing than we do on the lamenting. And sometimes lamenting just means I'm going to walk up alongside of you. I don't have any words for you. I don't have answers to tell you to figure out logically why you're going through what you're going through. But together with my arm around you, we can cry together. We can lament. We can put it up before the Lord and say, God, some of these things are just a mystery. We don't know why we go through what we go through, but we trust you. He said, let your joy be turned to mourning. Submit yourself to God. Surrender Bring this, this humility. If you're humble in the sight of God, he will lift you up. Listen, 
you can either humble yourself before God or you can allow the rigors and the ways of this world to beat and to batter your soul and humbling will come. One way or the other, we're all getting humbled. It's just up to us as to the time frame and the method. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather humble myself before God than to let all of these things of the world come and crash in and I'm not ready to to receive them in a prideful, arrogant way and I come down to a great fall. Verses one through 10 are all about the inner turmoil, this inner struggle, this thing that is on the inside of us. But verses 11 and 12 change the tone. This now enters into interpersonal relationships. That's between you and other people. How do you respond horizontally with the people in your life? Verse 11, it says this, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Do not speak evil of other people that name the name of Jesus. Just because they worship differently than you, just because they dress differently than you, just because they might speak differently than you, just because they sin differently than you, don't speak evil of them, brethren, because he who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge, but but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? I think of it as as our heavenly father looking down and seeing all of us in this building, this we would call a church. This is not the church, it's a building. We are the church. And we, as brothers and sisters of the Lord, are children of God. We have said yes to the claims claims of Christ in our life. We have been grafted into the vine. We have inherited eternal life because of what Jesus has secured for us. And so we are children of the Most High God. I look at this as the Heavenly Father giving to us a word of wisdom through James to say, it's not up to you to correct your siblings. I'm the daddy, and when one of my kids need corrected, I'll do the correcting. If they need a spiritual spanking, I'll make sure that they get it. Don't you worry yourself, or don't you weary your body with trying to make sure somebody's getting theirs. That's what God's saying. There's one lawgiver, and thank God I'm not the judge. Aren't you glad you're not the judge? It's not up to us. It's not up to us. Now, here's basically the, the context of it is, you know how it is with your family. I mean, you can, you can really get some, some quarrels going in your family, can't you? You can fight and you can nip and you can, you can come to blows sometimes. I mean, I remember one time I, I just punched my brother smack dab in the nose and blood came out. I felt good about it too. I did until my mom got the paddle and then I didn't feel so good about it. But if one of them neighbor boys over there on the other side of the, the fence would have come over and hit my brother, we'd both been whipping up on that boy, Right? So we might have little skirmishes on inside. We might have a little disagreements with people. But at the end of the day, if they name the name of Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister. So let's just, let's just take hands. Let's just walk this thing out together. Amen. And we don't have any enemies. It's an internal battle. Your enemy is the one that you're contending with. And so interpersonally, we shouldn't speak evil of one another. We become their judge. There's one lawgiver and he's able to destroy or save. And so... How we relate with others has to do with our talk. It has to do with our tongue. 
And we have to be very careful. Verses 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Grandma Shutt says this all the time. I said, Grandma, you're going to be at church. You're going you're to go here. You're going to do that. And she said, well, I don't know if the Lord willing. That's what she said. If the Lord willing and the creek don't rise. And I always just think, well, yeah, I mean, God wants you at church. But actually, she was being very biblical. If the Lord wills, then I'll be there. But I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if he's going to call me home today. Just because you're younger, more strong, and more healthy than someone older doesn't mean you're going to outlive them. He says, what is your life? Is it just a vapor and then it vanishes away? I've heard Pastor Dennis say it several times. A good life is never long enough and a long life is never good enough. You have to surrender your life to Christ because you're only here for a short time. Even if you live 100 plus years in the span of eternity, that is a short time. So what is your life? Here's what James is saying. What are you doing with the gifts, the opportunities, and the privileges you have been afforded? Don't compare yourself to what everybody else has that you're you're deprived of. I know that there are so many great aspects of social media and our culture of being able to stay in touch with people and contacting people, but, but can I tell you what one of the biggest ills of social media is the comparison trap that we fall into when we're viewing someone else's highlight reels against the real reels of our life. And we're all the time measuring up and trying to compare and say, well, if I only had those talents, of course I could do what they do. But God didn't bless me that way. Oh, God must have them as a favorite status. If I just had their opportunities, of course I could. If I just had the the hand they were dealt, listen, somebody somewhere can take the hand that you have been dealt and they can win with that hand. Why don't you win with that hand? Amen. You can win. God has given you everything you need. And he's saying to us here, Our life is very short. It's here for a time and then it vanishes away. When was the last time you really thought about your life? The worth of your life, the value that you have to contribute. You may feel today that you are at your lowest point. I just want to talk to someone for a minute that has been dealing with these depressive thoughts that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy that your life doesn't matter, that that you're a throwaway. Listen, that is not true. That is a lie. That is a lie. Don't believe that. You are valued. You are valued. You are loved. You are precious in the sight of God. And your life matters. You wouldn't be here still if you didn't have a purpose before God. It matters what you do with your days. It matters what you do with your time. You are impacting and influencing people you don't even know of. Sadly to say, I see it so often when I stand before a casket at a funeral. People come through and they wish their wells to the family and many people will tell little stories of how they were impacted by somebody. And you know, what I really want to tell them is, did you ever say it while they were living? Did you ever tell them what they meant to you while you had the opportunity that they were here with you? And the truth of the matter is you're impacting and you're influencing people you don't even know. And it's probably a good thing. Oswald Chambers says it is the grace of God that he doesn't allow us to see the influence that we have on others in the here and now because we would probably mess it up. 
And we would. But you're impacting somebody. Your life matters. And let me just, let me just say about, I've heard so much about this. Depression and anxiety is at an epidemic level in our country right now. Hear me. Suicidal thoughts are at an all-time high. And can I tell you that it might appear on the surface as an easy way out. The pain, the suffering all stop, but it really doesn't. All it does is it transfers. It shifts over to someone else. That pain of that loss will shift over to someone else that you love and you would never hurt them. And yet that's exactly what happens. That's a word for someone this morning. You need to take inventory of your life. You matter to God. Verses 15 and 16 says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live, we shall do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And then he says in verse 17, therefore, and he closes this chapter, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In first century terms, the word sin was hamartia. It was, it was a hunting and, and archery term. Because if you think of, of a, a hunter, an archer, they would take their bow and they would pull back their arrow on that bow and there would be a target out there in the, in the distance. And on that target was a bullseye. And if when they shot, they released and they hit that bullseye, then they hit the mark. If they missed the bullseye, then they missed the mark and therefore they hemartied, they sinned. Sin means missing the mark. Don't so self-deprecate and get yourself under a burden because you have sinned. Hey, get back up, repent, and do your first works. Just because you've been knocked down doesn't mean you need to stay down. Get back up. And he says this, that when you know to do right and you don't do it, that's a sin. That's missing the mark. Now, we all understand sins of commission. We commit sins. We do this wrong thing. We do that wrong thing. We feel bad about it. Maybe we cover it up, maybe we justify, but that's a sin. What we're not as familiar with are sins of omission. It's the things we've omitted to do. It's the things we've let go. We've not done certain things. And here's what James is saying. Hey, you can deal with all those outward things you've committed sin for and ask forgiveness, but there's another aspect of forgiveness. There's another aspect of doing right and not sinning, and that is what you've omitted to do. What have you left undone? He said, If you know to do right and you don't do it, that's sin too. I can't think of any better week of the year than the one week that as a nation we set aside to be thankful. We give people days off for it. We get together and we celebrate as families being thankful. But you know, really thankfulness is not to be just a one time a year thing. It's really a lifestyle. We we live to be thankful because of what God has done. But I can't think of any better week of the year than to do the right thing. Get involved in serving someone who cannot pay you back. Do the right thing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just between you and God, I want you to take an inventory of your life. I want to ask you a question. What are some things that you have not done? What are some things that you need to tidy up in your life? What about that apology that you've been delaying? I want you to do that this week. What about that grudge that you would rather hold on to, do the right thing. What about that unforgiveness that you're harboring? 
do the right thing? What about saying yes to the call of God on your life that you've been neglecting? Do the right thing. I want to pray for you right now. We're going to sing. I want you to worship with this song as we close, but I want to pray first. And here's the prayer. God, today, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice and those who are watching us online that your light would break through the darkness, that you would give to us a heart of humility, that we would submit to you, and then we're equipped and ready to resist the wiles of the evil one, and he'll flee from us. God, help us to do the right thing. Help us to be the right people, the human beings you've called us to be. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, let your light shine in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. I am so excited about what we have planned for next week. But before then, would you take a minute and go to the video description and either leave us a review or click on one of those links for all the information available. And one last thing, your generosity really does make a difference. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, which enables us to reach even more people with the gospel? God bless.